stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com ajax, click buy paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com ajax to get started. As the art on my wall says, catch up on everything.
This is Comics Catch-Up. I feel like that intro was just for me because I've been to your office and I know that you have a sign on your wall, a print on your wall that says Catch-Up on everything. It sure does. It's in the shape of a Heinz bottle, but it says Catch-Up on everything. My name is Matt Wilson. That was Chris Sims you just heard. What's up? We, on this show, read comics that we missed... And then we end up ranking those comics on the Ever Story Ever list based on how we felt about them. And those comics that we read are picked by you, the listener. We had a nail-biter to determine what we're doing on this May episode of Comics Catch-Up, Chris. Mm -hmm. We had four contenders for the prize of being the comic we caught up on. It was essentially a tie between the comic that we're doing on the episode that very narrowly won the poll. Omega Men, and the comic that came in second, Ultimates 2, both of which had 26% of the vote. By virtue of the fact that they both had 26% of the vote, it was a very, very close race. Yeah. Uh, We had also Nameless on the list, which did quite well. Which we will eventually be doing... Like, that one we have to do. Someone sent it to us. Yeah, and we had Hellboy and Hell on the list, which also did very well. So I'm thinking we'll probably end up getting to all four of those. Almost assuredly. Yeah. But this time, the the comic that very narrowly won was Omega Men. Uh, The recent 12-issue series, written by Tom King, with art mostly by Barnaby Beginda. Omega Men was a book that I really, really liked uh, as it was coming out. I read the first, I think, three or four. Like, reading back through it, those were the ones that felt most familiar. I remember, like, falling off of it and being like, I'm just going to read this when it's all out together. Uh, But I continued to get it because there was that mild, I guess, controversy about the book maybe not getting its 12 issues, which would have been a real shame, I think. Yeah, it definitely needed to tell its story in 12 issues. If anything, this felt like a very big story to be packing into 12 issues. Yes, it's very dense in a way that I really appreciate. Uh, Which I think brings us to uh, an element of the book that I think is important to note. I feel like there's a good reason this was picked now. Uh, If you are an Ajax listener, uh, and you are a reader of Detective Comics Comics... Incorporated, a division of Warner Brothers. Uh, You will know that Heroes in Crisis is also currently coming out and is also a book about which we have some very strong opinions. And I think getting a book like this, which is a very, very good, like I think kind of mature ish take on DC Comics using a 90s character a character who is kind of definitively of the 90s DC universe. I think there's a reason people wanted to hear us talk about that right now. And you know? and then a set of characters from the 70s. Yes. But I think adult or mature is one way of putting it. Nuanced, I think, is maybe the word I would immediately use to describe this version of Omega Men, because mm-hmm. there's no other way to describe it. The heroes of this book are essentially terrorists. Yeah, the protagonists of the book are terrorists. And it shoves that idea in your face immediately with 
it's I mean it's a fake out, but with the 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 opening prologue, which I think was like a free comic book day thing. It was in it was definitely in a promo book. Uh, I don't know if it was an FCBD thing because that would have been a wild thing to put out on FCBD. I remember but it was definitely like in maybe like the here's what's coming up in the DC universe style book. Yeah. I, I remember reading it in like a preview book, whatever it was, if it wasn't yeah. free comic book day, it was put up for free on comiXology. I do know that. Yeah. I remember that too, but it looks by all appearances very much like what you would think of when you would think of like an ISIS video where the terrorists yeah, they are have... talking, they're talking to the camera <laughs> They have a hostage who they nominally or they appear to kill in the video. Yeah. In a black hood that they sit in front of the camera and then they take the hood off and reveal who it is and they kill him on video on what is very clearly like a, a, a video. It is definitely like it is. I have I've made the joke before. Um, me and uh, pal Matt Connor, who is a local guy who you may know if you've been to cons in the area and you've seen the uh, glitter beard daredevil cosplayer. That's Matt. Good guy. Super good guy. Uh, we had a conversation and we talked about how uh, every Tom King book is about sad dads and Baghdads. And I feel like this is more about the Middle East than Sheriff of Babylon was. Yeah, this one is definitely a book about Baghdads. Yeah, it is like. I feel like calling it thinly veiled is an insult to veils. <laughs> there is a like there is a planet called Ojiptu. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Like and everybody's looking for if, if you're not familiar with the setup, the deal is that it's a, a space story about a section of space, a sector, uh made up of different uh planets that all have this element called Stellarium, which will stop planets like Krypton from exploding. Like, if you if you have the instability that Krypton had, and you just, I don't know, inject Stellarium into your planetary core, it will not explode like Krypton did. And so it is this rare and valuable substance that every other planet wants that uh, is the subject of, I guess, imperialism, colonialism, the protagonists of the book, the Omega Men, are terrorists who are fighting against the uh, overarching government that is exploiting this natural resource. Yes, that is that is the long and short of it. Yeah, and at one point, like, Kyle Rayner literally says, there's another way to do this. It's the American way. It's truth, <laughs> justice, and the American way, which is not, it is not a subtle book. No. It is not. Um, the the there are a few I don't know bends in that story or or uh, wrinkles I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, the 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 member of the team who has not appeared in a former former version of the Omega Men is Scraps, who is formerly a a resident of the planet that became essentially the universe's mine for Stellarium. Yeah. She's the only survivor of a genocide because everyone on the, on the planet was killed for the harvesting of Stellarium specifically. 
I, I think there's a lot of actually really good stuff that comes from the book not being subtle. Like, like number one opens with, you see these soldiers from the Citadel, which is the uh, sort of evil resource-exploiting empire, and they're practicing. Like, they all speak in an untranslated alien language when we see them. Uh, but they're practicing saying phrases like, we are your friends, we will not hurt you. Uh, and then, of course, they do a raid where they're, like, kicking down doors and shooting at people, saying, you know, we are your friends, we will not hurt you. And it's like, hmm, wonder, wonder where that idea came from. Yeah, I mean, th- this this book is one of the most obvious examples of Tom King being like, hey, former CIA guy here. Hey, I need to work through some stuff. Here's here's, here's a book about what my old job. Yeah, <laughs> here's a book about my old job. I but like, I see the 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 non subtlety as both a it's advantageous to the book, but it's also a bit of a liability to the book because even I, having been excited about this book from the get go, partially because it was edited by. Our mutual friend Andy Curry, yes, uh, former boss of ours when we worked at Comics Alliance, and Andy does great work over there. And I knew that his hand on this book would mean a certain level of quality, certainly. Mm-hmm. Which I, th- I think we should point out right here, since we're talking about it. Andy, back when we worked with him, was always a very art focused guy. Like if you read yes. Comics Alliance and you remember the uh, best artist ever. Uh, sections that was like andy's brainchild that was his baby yeah and i think it bears saying that barnaby beginda rules in this book oh i don't great. know if he's done anything major since but everything about this book is beautiful i think he's done some issues here and there there was notably a fill-in artist on issue four mm-hmm. that was re- like was a a pretty major shift in the art style mm-hmm. but the the art is mostly very consistent and mostly very good um the artist on issue 4 is Toby Cypress who did not do a bad job but that issue had a very very different feel yes and it uh, was did you mostly princess kalisa's backstory i believe in that issue yeah uh did you read this as issues or did you read the paperback version i read the paperback version yeah, same. And there's like a lot of really, really nice design stuff in the background. And also you get to see the um, – a thing that I really liked about this book visually was that the covers are all like propaganda posters. Yes. And they're, they're specifically propaganda posters for the Citadel. Yeah. Yes. And so the uh, the covers are like those posters and they've been kind of defaced with the Omega Men logo. And then in the paperback, you get to see like the clean versions of those covers. Yeah. Sans defacement, which it's I think is actually really nice. Really uh, cool to see both versions. I can absolutely see how that preview story that looks like essentially an ISIS video could be an instant turnoff for somebody. Absolutely. It's, it's very in your face. And very identifiable. Like, it's through the filter of a sci-fi thing. It is unquestionably what it is. Yeah, and it's very upsetting in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. Like, if you have seen that imagery on the news, and, I mean, we all have, you know? <laughs> We've at least seen Iron Man 3. I mean, I can tell you, while that wasn't a turnoff necessarily to me reading the story, 
it kind of made me say, I think part of the reason I did not keep up with this as it was coming out, I had the thought of like, this is going to be a lot to handle, I think. Maybe I'll just read it all at once. Uh, going month, like, I kind of had to steal myself to read it. And and going f- through that month to month, I think, would just be a little emotionally taxing. Um, yes. I, taking it all in one chunk, at least I could be prepared for it, get through it, and be done with it. And and get my mind in that headspace and then get out of that headspace when I'm done with it. And to be fair, the, the rest of the series kind of gets away from being so one-to-one with the ISIS stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it's always there. Yeah. And I think – I mean it, it gets away from it a little bit, but it also uh, – it also definitely has – it never gets away from the theming. And I think the theming is actually really interesting about this book because at the end of the day, like this story treats Kyle Rayner as a superhero, right? Like he is a superhero and he is put into this situation that is a very non superheroic situation. Uh, it's very messy. It's very dirty. It's complicated. It's flawed on every side. And I think to its credit and something that I think, distinguishes this from one of my frustrations with uh, Heroes in Crisis. Kyle never stops being a superhero, like even when he's kind of fighting alongside the, what are, you know, essentially our terrorist heroes. He's always the one who is doing what he can to minimize uh, suffering, minimize the the loss of, of life. He's like the one, the one noble guy, right? Yeah, I mean, it, that shows... In sort of the final conflict when he is making a very valid, very impassioned case for not killing the leader of the Citadel. Right. But I think the the messaging at the end of it is is really like interesting and affecting because it's this you know, we talk about how the the opening is framed as uh, like a terrorist video, like an ISIS video or an Al Qaeda video, and the ending scene is a Kyle in a guy's office who's like Space Army, and it's like a like a human guy, like in a military uniform, sitting behind his desk with like a flag next to him with a buzz cut, you know, also looking very familiar, and the sort of message is that, that Kyle gets to be the the voice of at the end is this idea that we, we all think we're better than the other guy. We all think we're more civilized than the other guy. And we all think we're more entitled to what the other guy has than they are because of that when we're not. And that this kind of conflict is going to be inevitable because there is something that everyone needs and there's only so much of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of left hanging by the end, where, like, the Omega Men are the wall preventing anybody from taking more Stellarium. But that guy, the Space Army guy, is like, hey, we still got to have Stellarium. Yeah. We need it. We got to have it. Or uh, And then the deal is, the Stellarium is going to prevent a planet from blowing up, but extracting Stellarium kills a planet. So it's very much like a who deserves it more situation. And I think it's all played 
interestingly, and like obviously the metaphors aren't subtle, but I think they work in in the context of the of the series. It's a nuanced story. And and a tough one, I think, to really pull off in comics. In some ways, it's it's shocking to me that this wasn't a more controversial book, where essentially terrorists are the heroes. I, yeah, I, I mean, mean it, it asks the old question, you know, terrorists are freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. But in the time we live in, that question has been recontextualized very drastically. Yes. If, if you want the very uncharitable reason... This was not a controversial book. It's because nobody was reading it. You know, this is a book, this is a 12-issue miniseries that almost got canceled halfway through. So imagine how, imagine how low the sales have to be for them to not finish a 12-issue miniseries, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if people even knew Kyle Rayner was in it, because, like, Omega Man is a pull. It is a pull of a, a book to to bring back because like how many people were reading Omega men when it was coming out in the seventies and eighties? Yeah. Like people know that's where, that where Lobo came from and that's it. Yeah. I gotta say, I do really like the religious stuff in here. And I think it's interesting that the, the sort of religion of alpha and Omega in this is positioned as something that has like differences into itself. Like there's a, there's a, a, a big deal made of how um, Princess Callista's people don't think Alpha was a deity. They think he was a king. And then it is directly contrasted with Kyle Rayner being Catholic and him being like, no, this you, your religion's bad. My religion is correct. <laughs> uh, and it, like, he literally says, like, at one point, he's like, what is he? He says something about, like, yeah, you're, you're petty small gods or something. Yeah. And Kyle, Rayner, Kyle Rayner is more Catholic and more Latino than he is <laughs> through his entire run as Green Lantern. Yeah. Kyle Rayner, who, who was like Irish for the first <laughs> 10 years he was around before we found out he was Latino. Yeah. New 52 Kyle knew, uh, knew all the time, I guess, because he talks about going to his uh, what, like his grandmother gives him a cross at his confirmation or something along those lines? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I really dug, speaking of the religious stuff, I think my favorite issue of the whole 12, run of 12, is the one that really focuses on Brute, which I think it's like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. It's actually the one where Brute dies. Yeah, Brute, who who dies, I don't even think it's eight or nine. I think he dies fairly early. I think he dies like maybe six or seven. Okay. Whichever one it is where he, we find out his whole backstory about how he was like the high priest's son. (laughs) He was going to, he was in line to be the new high priest. And he got branded as a heretic because he questioned the religion. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And ended up joining the Omega Men. Like, all of that stuff I really struck a chord with me for some reason. The the Brute backstory stuff made Brute maybe my favorite character of the bunch. I just really dug that. Uh, I will say this about this book. The backstory stuff of every character in this book is really interesting. Uh, Tigor, who's this, like, you know, savage cat man. He's Tiger Man. Being a guy who was the again he's the the king of the catman's son but he's like raised by the citadel 
in like privilege right. as yes. as their like like half pet half uh hitman uh that's really good all the backstory of princess kalista princess kalista's backstory is really interesting because i don't i mean i i think we should say this kalista is the one who's behind everything and she's not introduced to like number three well she's she's introduced with a twist yes because the trick is that they make it look like the omega men are capturing her as a hostage and they're even tricking Kyle Rayner into believing that mm-hmm. when in fact she's the leader of the whole thing. Yeah. Cause she's the one who found out about the secret genocide and was like, Oh, everybody needs to die. And the other interesting thing about getting all those characters backstories is at the end, after Kyle Rayner and the Omega men, the Omega lantern and the Omega men have won. Um, it it ends badly. Like it's they win the war, they stop the Citadel and then you see like what happens to all of them. And it's like, yeah, um, uh, Tigor couldn't keep control of his people. So now they're like, now they're basically in, in a civil war. Uh, Princess Kalista is now the queen, but she's ruling in a, like she's a very authoritarian ruler. Uh, Primus, who was a pacifist after, you know, after he was kind of made to do all this violence, uh, after Princess Kalista kind of seduced him into being a warrior, he has also become like a a very violent ruler. Uh, and then here's Kyle Rayner, who's like fought a war, yeah, like a, a war that lasted months, and it, not, it is now like, hey, we need to send you back because we need to do another war because they're not giving us the thing we need. Uh, yeah, Primus is from Egyptu. He, yeah. he was the leader on Egypto, and I think he's probably the least interesting of the bunch, but not uninteresting. He's he's the least interesting of the bunch because he's the fake out leader. Like it seems yeah. like he's going to be the leader, and then it and then he turns out to like Kalista turns out to be the leader who has kind of like seduced him into falling in love with her, so that just like she does with Kyle, so that uh, he'll be part of this plan that she has to destroy the citadel and and we and scraps kind of just has to go find a life because her whole planet is gone do you, do you think that's what it was because scraps is scraps vanishes at the end yeah. and it's this very like ambiguous thing of what happened to her i don't think she goes to find a life i think she becomes a serial killer oh uh, that's a dark read i i don't know I mean, I, it's a dark book <laughs> yeah um she does lose the robot that she saw as her mother yeah um who who essentially uh, destroys the I can't remember the name of her planet, but the robot destroys the planet so that they can't mine the Stellarium anymore. Yeah, they because it, it was one of the robots that was sent to do this genocide because that's the more civilized thing to do is to send in you know drones. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then once they kill everybody, the the guy the Citadel guys are like, hey, this is not civilized. We can't just leave their bodies out here. We need you to to bury them, you know, treat them as though they're your own family. And that's the last order they give. And then, uh, doc, the robot finds a survivor. And so, and treats her like she's his family. Yeah. Um, uh, which is a really like, again, a really good twist. I think. Yeah. It, I, in some ways, again, it, it only being 12 issues, it feels like there's more to explore in that, in that relationship specifically, um, yeah. than we actually see. But I do think, 
in this case, it, it may be a less is more kind of situation. I, um, I think we get enough of it to, to really grasp it. <laughs> Before we get into ranking this, I, I do want to talk about it formally a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I do too, actually. Because as I was reading this, I could not help in hindsight – but to think of it as a dry run for Mr. Miracle. I feel like it is both a dry run for Mr. Miracle and a dry run for Heroes in Crisis in a lot of, of, of weird ways. Well, it, the form is very similar. Um, it's full of nine-panel grids. Mm-hmm. Just chock-full of nine-panel grids. And the story does a lot of making you think it's one thing before it turns out to be something else in the early issues, which I think is somewhat similar to Mr. Miracle. Mm -hmm. But then by the end, by like the last four or five issues, the path is very clear. It's just getting to that path. It's just, it's just getting to that enemy and defeating them. And then having a little time after that enemy is defeated to kind of deal with the fallout a bit. I, structurally, formally, the way that things are presented, it it reminds me in very, very many ways of Mr. Miracle. Perhaps there's some formal similarities to to Heroes in Crisis as well, but I also don't think there's a single wasted panel in this book. Yeah, that's the other, like, that's the big contrast for me, is this book is kind of structured like Heroes in Crisis. You know, again, the, it's focused on this uh, these forgotten DC characters and our viewpoint character is this guy that we grew up with and that we like. Yeah. The, uh, the post-crisis legacy superhero. Yeah. And it's a lot of nine panel grids and it's a lot of people kind of discussing things. And it's a lot about the traumas of war, which comes up in, in both heroes in crisis and Mr. Miracle. Um, but there's, again, it's packed in the, the same way that heroes in crisis is like very airy. And breezy and not a lot happens in most of it. Like there is so much going on in Omega men. Like the prelude to the war lasts nine issues (laughs) and the actual war lasts like three, the actual war lasts lasts like two and a half. And it's like a a year of fighting. Essentially it's months of fighting. Yeah. I mean, there's, from panel to panel, it will skip months. Yeah. And just show you like a glimpse of what is happening in the war as it's going But in on. a way that really resonates thematically and you don't miss anything. Uh, like yeah. you said, not a wasted panel in the book. Jam-packed stuff in a way that I really like. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, like, because I think if you had just read, if you just read... Heroes in Crisis, Mr. Miracle, and Omega Men, you might just think this is the way Tom King does comics. Mm -hmm. But his Batman run, and even a book like Vision, make it pretty clear that it's not. It's like a specific DC event approach to comics that he takes. It's The other thing that I was thinking of, because at one point, uh, Hypnos come up, the the magic contact lenses where people can't tell who you are, Uh from Grayson. Right. Uh, at one point, those come up, and I like in my head, I started comparing this to Grayson, which is where like we really first encountered 
King and first got to like really like his stuff. And he was and co-writing. That, he was co-writing that book. He was co-writing that with, with Tim Seeley. Yeah. But that book is also like so formally different than either of these. I, either, you know, Mr. Miracle, Heroes in Crisis, or Omega Men. It's a very different book. Yeah, I, I'm more positive on it than negative. I, I admire the, the the almost sort of calculated risk of making the subject matter of this book so close to a, a very familiar version of real-world terrorism. Yeah. And making the heroes the terrorists, which has always been the deal of the Omega Men, but again, the context is so different. Yeah, because it, it's not – you know what it reminded me of more than anything else? Game of Thrones. <laughs> because when they did that, um, I mean, spoiler warning for, for this current and final season of Game of Thrones, but when they did that big battle, the, the King's Landing battle, right. someone I read was like, the episode might not have been good. Like, the events might not have been good. But thematically, it works because this is a show that's always been about how, you know, fa- like, even in, you know, fantasy comics – uh, romanticize war, whereas in this, like war is always like f- just filthy and awful for everyone involved. Like it's it's never heroic. And following up on a big, very Star Warsy, uh, unambiguous good guys win battle, like the Battle of Winterfell, like the Battle of King's Landing was kind of a, a reset to that idea. And this book, I think. Rather than giving us the, you know, a super heroic quote unquote war, like like we all like to see, where the good guys win and evil is defeated, it gave us a war where like even the, the guy at the like the main bad guy who was just like awful throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I wanna it, I wanna call him the Viceroy, uh, although the I Viceroy think that's, of the Citadel. Yeah. Is that his title? Okay. Yes. Because at the end of it they start calling uh Princess Kalisa the Viceroy of Vega. Yeah, okay. Uh but like even he, as he is kind of dying at the end, he gets this speech where he's like, "Oh, what did I do that was so bad? You know, keep you like keep you from having another genocide that would have happened without me. Uh, you know, I, I t- took you in and and raised you, like allowed you to keep your kingdom. Like I, you know, I didn't I didn't hate you. I'm the only one who loved you. <laughs> and even like." Everybody kind of thinks they're in the right in this, and everybody yes. kind of has a claim on it. Yes, it's a very good heel promo. Yes. Because there's there's truth to it. I but but we've also seen him do the brutal things that he does to know that he he's spinning it in his favor. Yeah. But so are the Omega Men. Yeah, absolutely. Cause because we see how they act. Once it's all over. Yeah. Like, ultimately, Kyle was forced onto the side of the Omega Men. And and ultimately, it seems that he was on the right side, and he came to the conclusion that he was on the right side. Mm-hmm. But his hands aren't totally clean either. He tried his best. Right. He's, he's a real Jon Snow. <laughs> uh, Boy, he really is, isn't he? Yeah. Not to get too deep into the Game of Thrones thing, but like, I mean, it's very like it's very comparable thematically. It, you're not wrong. You're not wrong, and and 
like I think people reacted so much to that last episode of Game of Thrones. Although by the time this goes up, the actual final episode will have aired. But that next to last episode of Game of Thrones, because of reasons that have been talked about, but also because you, you've had two seasons of almost complete fan service up to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot of bad had happened to yeah. to our heroes in those two seasons. Like, a, a, a couple dragons died, and that's about it. And then it did an old-fashioned Game of Thrones twist. It did an old-fashioned, like, fuck you to the audience Game of Thrones thing. Mm-hmm. And people weren't ready for it. Like, I, I, I will not take a position on whether what Daenerys did was good storytelling or bad storytelling. But it's a thing Game of Thrones has done. Yeah. A lot of. Yeah. Hey, you, you, hey, uh, how much do you like Rob Stark, the King of the North, everybody? <laughs> uh, Matt, I, just since we're talking about it, I will take a position. The destination was fine. The journey was bad. Yeah, that, that's pretty much how I feel, too. I, yeah. I think the, the turn yeah. happened too quickly. A million things you could have done to make that better that they didn't do. It could have been set up a lot more uh, satisfactorily. The thing I, I, the thing I said... Uh, after I watched it, was literally anyone I know could have written that better. <laughs> and admittedly, I know a lot of good writers. That's that's I, my friends. But weird that this is turning into a Game of Thrones conversation. But um, I read an, a whole thing, and and this could apply to Omega Men, I think, because Omega Men was clearly written as one unit of story, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It it feels like King. Um, I read a thread about the difference between plotters and pantsers. Yes. And it might seem counterintuitive to hear this, but um, George R.R. R. Martin is a pantser. He, the reason it's taken him so long to write the books, <laughs> and the reason they there are more books than he thought there were going to be, is because... He I'm certainly he has some kind of outline for what's coming, but he allows the characters to sort of guide their paths as he's going. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, characters go off on these like little side stories that he wasn't even expecting them to have. They get stuck in places like Daenerys getting stuck in Marine. There's like he allows himself to kind of say, Well, what would the character do in this situation? Yeah. And let that guide him. Benioff and Weiss in the TV show are very clearly plotters. They had an ending in mind, and they had to get there. Mm -hmm. And they were writing to the ending, not writing based on, is this right for what my characters are doing? Yeah, and they had about uh, three episodes to get there. And and self-imposed. Yeah, H- HBO told them they could have more. They they should have. They, anyway, and they said, gonna... "No, we want to get, we want to finish and go make our Star Wars trilogy." So, <laughs> I, I, in in yeah. the same way, I feel like Omega Men. It's more of a concise unit, so you have you have less of the problems. But I feel like King absolutely 
did this book as a plotter. And I think King has revealed himself as a plotter rather than a pantser. Well, he did that uh, interview not too long ago where he kind of broke down everything that he wanted to do in 100 issues of Batman. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, Batman is the clearest s- sign that he's a plotter. Yeah. Whether or not it whether or not it's fully plotted, which I think I, I have my doubts on, as we've discussed. Um, which are you, out of curiosity, Matt? You're, you're a plotter. Oh, I don't know. I, uh, the, the supreme villainy, I would say, I wrote – I don't know. I was, some, I was kind of somewhere in between. The, the, some of the like uh, character stuff in supreme villainy, though, was totally pantsing. Okay, uh, but I knew where I wanted it to end. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I think. Okay. Uh, like something like Copernicus Jones, I'm wholly pantsing. <laughs> yeah, that is that. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, I am definitely a a by the seat of your pants. Like I like my the very frustrating thing for uh, Chad Bowers, who I co-wrote a bunch of Marvel comics with. Like especially when we were doing X Men, was me going, I'll figure it out when I get there. Which I always do. Like, like weirdly enough, Dracula is kind of the most plotted thing I've done, and even that is like, I know where I want to end up, but uh, you know, what, whatever cool things I think of on the way are going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm like that in some ways. I, I, I always know the ending, but how I get there, yeah. I kind of I let that happen as it's happening. We got way off topic, really. Uh, yeah, one more, one more um, specific Omega Men thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about um, Princess Kalisto. Yeah, who I think is uh, beautifully designed. I think her costume designs are really good. Uh, I think Barty Begin did an amazing job drawing her because she wears she wears like a full suit, like a, a jacket, pants, shirt. Like she's nearly like fully covered, and it's very like kind of you know classic royalty like nobility outfits because she's fighting the people with a, a laser sword um but she is maybe the best and one of the only examples i can think of of a female character who you know quote unquote uses her sexuality as a weapon but like actually uses her sexuality as a weapon and is not just like dressing like movie harley quinn yeah and like she is she's very very mercenary She's very mercenary. She's unapologetically mercenary. And when when Kyle's like, hey, I literally fell in love with you. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I know you did. I had to make you fall in love with me. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done this. Uh, and And it's very – she's not like – she's not cold about it, but she has a goal, and that is a way to reach her goal. And if her goal involves, you know, playing a role – then that is what she's going to do. And I think that's really done well here in a way that uh, so many people use as an excuse, you know, like so many people are like, this character dresses this way. This character dresses this way. Cause that's what you want to draw, which is fine. You know, like it's fine. Just, just say it, just say, I want, I want power girls boobs out. And I, I would have so much more respect for that than, than when there is a obviously bullshit explanation. Like, uh, like the heart, like the Harley Quinn in in Suicide Squad. You remember that interview where they were like, "Yeah, her outfit is sort of a visual judo." 
that she uses to to disarm people. It's like, mm, no, no. Well, the, Margot Robbie's tell, very attractive. <laughs> you can tell when it's obviously an excuse that you just want to dress up a character in a sexy way. Yeah. And when it's actually a valid story point. And in this case, it's a valid story point. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that both in, in terms of King's writing and Barnaby Begenda's design comes through really well and I think serves her character so well that it makes her like, if I told you, yeah, this is, she's a princess, but she uh, is the person behind this terrorist action and she seduces Kyle Rayner to bring him in on it. And she also seduces Primus, which makes him abandon pacifism. It sounds bad. It sounds really bad, but it's not. It's, I think, really well done from a character standpoint. Well, it's, it's, it's morally gray. Yeah. She's, she's one of the clearest living in the gray area and being okay with it characters Yeah, like in the, in the whole book. The because thing you find out, okay. It's, it's it's a very end justifies the means kind of thing with her. Yeah. And the thing we find out at the end is that she's like executing dissidents, right? Like, or disappearing them. But she's also the only person who is preventing people from coming in and finding a new source of solarium and mining that planet. Like when they're like, Hey, we need you to relocate all the natives of these planets. She's the one who says no. Yeah. And of course she's not going to brook descent. So let's rank Omega Men. I liked it. I, I like it a lot. It's not going to catch a whiff of Mr. Miracle, I think. Oh, no. Which, you know, honestly, no, like, I, I don't want to sound like the difference here is Barney beginning to miss Jared's, but, like, I, I think there's a lot more to the the differences between those books. But yeah, it is no, it's, it is not in that rarefied air. I mean, the, the difference for me is emotional impact. You know, the yes, uh, Omega Men is a well constructed story, told well, but it doesn't necessarily make me feel anything. You know, it's it it, it gets me in the head. It, it's it's intellectually interesting, but it doesn't get me in the gut. Yeah, I think as far as like, as far as being a comic that is one million percent about Tom King's experience in the Middle East. Uh, it is probably the best iteration of that that we've seen. And I will admit, I I didn't finish uh, Sheriff of Babylon, which I thought was also very good, which also Mitch Gerard's draws. Uh, but like, Mr. Miracle's about that, but it's also about other things. It's about childhood trauma. It's about yeah. growing up as uh, someone who was a victim of abuse it's, as a kid. like For lack of a better term, even though we used this to describe Omega Men earlier, I think Mr. Miracle is more mature. Yes. It's more fully realized. And and dealing with the emotions, I think, is the sign of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Omega Men isn't really a book about emotions. It's a book about morality and conflicting morality but emotions are a weapon in Omega Man. Yeah, they're, everything's they're not, a weapon. Yeah, the the book I would I would say to compare it to is one we have at one thirty eight, Vision. Now I have not read Vision actually. Vision, uh, I also think does a better job of making an emotional connection. But I think it probably goes somewhere near it. 
Okay. I mean, that I think that's it's going to end up near there. Because I think this is, like, certainly... I think it's really good. It's not Glory Boat good. Uh, yeah. But it's, like... I mean, I'm looking below it, because we have Dark Knight's Metal at 145. Yeah, it's not as good as Metal, for sure. But I feel like it's probably... You know what it's weirdly comparable to? Court of Owls. Uh, Kill Them All. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly comparable to Kyle Starks's, uh Kill Them All, which is a reverse diehard. <laughs> Comparing it to another New Gods thing, at 152, we have the Death Wish of Terrible Turpin. <sighs> probably not that good. Okay. It's it's better than Orion number five, which is a very artistically driven issue. So Kill Them All is at 153. Is Omega Man better or worse than Kill Them All? I would read Kill Them All again before I would read uh, Omega Men again. But part of that is because Kill Them All is shorter. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Superman Beyond 3D is below that. Ooh, Matt, that's where that's where he puts the medicine in his body. Superman Beyond 3D is a shockingly emotional comic book. Yeah, it's it's an extremely emotional comic. That's when good Superman and bad Superman join up and become 3D Superman. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell yeah. Hey, what's the say on his tombstone, Matt? <laughs> what does it say, Chris? It says to be continued. That's right, buddy. Yeah. Um, okay, I think between Superman Beyond 3D and maybe the Dirty Pair story, the Run From the Future story. Yeah, Run From the Future is very good, but I think Omega Men certainly has a claim on being better. I think not, you know, outright. Uh, what we have to judge Omega Men on, I think, is whether it's smarter. And I think it's smarter than the Dirty Pair story. It's a different kind of smart. It's yeah. a very different kind of smart. It's a very smart, intellectually engaging comic. Yeah. And I think it is going to... I think it is both going to be considered to be an extreme product of its time, and also a comic that uh, holds up as a kind of treatise on the, its era, you know? Like, you can't, you can't be a a treatise on an era without being a product of your time. And I think this is going to be in that magic sweet spot for both. I think you're right. I also think it's forever going to be known as the dry run for Mr. Miracle. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I mean, it's, I couldn't not think of it in that regard uh, by any stretch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see that. Uh, So yeah, let's put it, let's put it above a run from the future. All right. Then it will enter the list number 155. Uh, an excellent showing from uh, old TK. That's Omega Man 2015. Omega. That's, That's right. Of Daniel Craig. Omega. Well, you voted. We read it. We talked about it. Now, here's a question, Chris. Yeah, man. Should we do another poll for June? Or should we just go ahead and read the book that virtually tied with Omega Man? Ultimates 2. I don't know, Matt. I feel like maybe one of the reasons that it was so highly voted is because we did read, you know, what was essentially the first half of it. We did read uh, Ultimates, the the uh, Al Ewing Ultimates. I'm not saying that, like, we shouldn't read that or that it would not also get chosen, but I, I like, should we go straight back to it? 
or maybe give it some breathing room is is my question. We I mean we had a month in between and it was basically a tie. Well, then there were maybe two or three votes separating Omega Men and Ultimates Two. Well, then there is clearly a desire for us to read Ultimates Two, and I think that would be a perfectly fine thing for us to do. All right, let's do that then. We're going to read Ultimates Two for June, and then in July we'll do another poll that will include Hellboy and Hell and Nameless, which also did quite well in the poll. Um, so we'll be back with the June comics catch up. We'll be reading ultimates too. If you would like to get in touch with us about a book you would like us to read for this show, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send us uh, a message on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Our website is warrocketajax.com. And if you want to find me online, I'm at uh, – you can just go to mattdwilson.net and find links to everything that I do. Chris, where can people find you? People can find me online by going to the-isb.com. That is my website. It's got links, hyperlinks. Hypertext? Matt, it's got all the hypertext transfer protocols on it. It's oh, got ahrefs. It's got IMGSRCs. <laughs> it's got – so much hypertext markup language on it, you wouldn't even believe it. It's got cascading style sheets. <laughs> got it well, it's, uh, what a world we live in. What a worldwide web we have. All right, everybody. See you next month with some more comics catch up. See you very soon with a regular War Rocket Ajax episode. Until then, good catching up. Yeah, good catching up.